heads up Driving when the sun goes down The hum of 18 wheels Lord, that's a lonely sound I spend all day Chasing that old white line I've been on the road so long I've lost track of time Hey friends, this is Gary Rayburn of Lonesome Road Ministries and we've got an awesome program for you. I know you're going to enjoy it today and you're going to want to get more copies of this. So give us a call, 618-383-2107 or log on to lonesomeroad.org or you can email me at gary.lonesomeroad at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Now sit back. Listen and enjoy today's program from Lonesome Road Ministries, Church on the Road. Give us a call. We look forward to hearing from you. I keep those wheels turning from town to town. There's so much I got to see. I got to look around. I got diesel smoke rolling. From two chrome stacks, my address is 408 414. Big blue Mac. Now it don't matter where I'm going, I just gotta drive. I have the white line fever to the day that I die. I said 18 wheels rolling on the road, it is my life. 18 wheels rolling on the road, it is my life. In the cab with Chaplain Daryl Spicer. What's going on, Gary Rayburn? And Chaplain Dennis McKay. Hey, Gary Rayburn. How's your mama now? My mama's uh, doing fine, doing fine. <laughs> and guys, we got a really serious program today, so we're just going to get right into it right after this song by James Payne, which goes right along with this testimony. And I know. This is going to be powerful today. So here is James Payne and Bruce Haynes with a song they wrote together called Dancing in the Rain. To the saint and the sinner, the losers and winners, sometimes the rain's going to fall. On the bad and the good and the misunderstood Storms will come to us all I found the answer from heartache to cancer Thank God in spite of the pain Cause when I start praising, things begin changing By learning to dance in the rain I'm learning to smile I feel like crying to live every day As if I were dying I'm learning the lesson of praising God through the pain I'm learning to stand My heart is breaking to hold to the cross When my hands are shaking Lord, through it all Learning to dance in the rain When the clouds start together Bring in bad weather There's no silver line in sight Prayers have been prayed But the answer's delayed And you're holding on for dear life whether you walk on water 
Or if you falter, he'll be there when you call his name. You'll get the victory, and you'll solve the mystery by learning to dance in the rain. I'm learning to smile when I feel like crying, to live every day as if I were dying. I'm learning the lesson, praising God through the pain I'm learning to stand When my heart is breaking To hold to the cross When my hands are shaking Lord, through it all I'm learning to dance in the rain I'm learning to dance Learning to dance Learning to dance in the rain What an awesome song by James Payne and Bruce Haynes and what a powerful testimony we have for you today. This is the testimony of Mike and Gay Edmonds and they're from Albion, Illinois and I met this couple when I was the interim pastor at Samaria Baptist Church in 2015. And what a precious couple they are and, and what a powerful, powerful testimony they have. And they want to share it with you. So buckle up and grab you a box of Kleenexes. You're going to need them. Here is Mike and Gay Edmonds. My name is Mike Edmonds and this is my wife, Gay. <laughs> and uh, we have three, we've had three children, Nathan, Daniel, and Jessica. And I'm going to let Gay tell you about a little bit of it. When Nathan was six years old, we had a study done of our family from Johns Hopkins. Adrenal leukodystrophy was a disease that they were finding out more and more about, but they weren't real sure uh, what the progression of it was or who all it affected and that kind of thing. And my family had people in it that actually had adrenal leukodystrophy, and at the time they had no idea what they were dying from. So when they did the study, and they did it in West Salem, when they did the study, they found out that Nathan did have adrenal leukodystrophy, and that Jessica was a carrier, and Daniel is fine. So from there, you know, we, we thought, well, he just had the symptoms maybe that my uncle had, my mom's brother. He would he was 46 when he passed away from the adrenal leukodystrophy. So we thought, well, Nathan had that. And we had time, you know, with him. So we were okay. And we didn't, we tried to put stuff in the back of our mind to not think about it, you know, because we didn't want to think that Nathan was going to die soon because that was just not something that we wanted to do. But the first symptoms that that Nathan had was uh, one day he got a phone call from his friend Forrest and he handed me the phone and he said, Mom, I can't understand a thing Forrest is saying. He said, can you tell me what he's saying? I said, yes, I can. So when I took the phone from Nathan, the thought had occurred to me that I had read in the paperwork that we had on adrenal leukodystrophy that him not being able to hear on the phone was one of the symptoms, the early signs, that inflammation was starting in his brain. And you tried to not think about those things. You push them in the back of your mind and you try to reason that stuff away. And I just told Mike, I said, well, let's take him to an ear, nose, and throat doctor because he's having trouble here. Maybe he's got fluid in his ears. Maybe he's just got a cold. So we did. We took him to Evansville, and they tested his hearing, and his, they said his hearing and his eardrums and everything were fine, that he had attention deficit disorder. And we were like, there's no way that he had attention deficit disorder. So we just decided that right away we needed to contact Johns Hopkins because we had taken him there before uh, and had studies done on him because um, they had a, an oil called Lorenzo's oil. 
and we started Nathan on Lorenzo's Oil, so they had a baseline on Nathan, and so we called uh, Johns Hopkins, and they set up a time for us to come, and it was right around Mike's birthday uh, that we went up in March of 1994. We went up for a three-day examination, and everything was really going smoothly, and we we got the place at the motel and we decided we took Nathan over to the hospital in the morning and uh, started the three-day examination at the end of the first day they requested us to come to the doctor's office they wanted to talk to us and so we left Nathan in the hospital room and we walked through the tunnel and to the other side of Johns Hopkins and the doctors told us then, he said, uh, we met with them and he said, uh, there's no need to test him for three more days or two more days. Uh, the disease has progressed. Nathan's got two years to live. Then, of course, we were devastated. Even the doctor was crying. But uh, he said, the only hope we have is a bone marrow transplant. And we took that, but going back to the hospital room, me and Gabe, of course, was crying heavily. And we even stopped in the tunnel, people walking back and forth. And, you know, what were we going to say to Nathan? Nathan was a really intelligent boy. We just cried. We just cried. Well, we got to the, the hospital room, and I told Nathan, get your stuff. We're going back over to the motel, and we're going to leave in the morning. And Nathan's like, what's, what's going on? Uh, we're supposed to be here for three days. I said, we'll talk when we get to the motel room. And he, you could see, he could see the way we were. And he was very quiet. We got in a taxi cab. And we was headed over to the motel. And Nathan looked at Gay and said, has my disease got worse? Is the ALD uh, progressing, Mom? And I said, yes, Nathan, it is. There wasn't any way I could lie to him or try to keep it from him. He knew. So, you know, he we were quiet all the way back to the motel. Um, nobody said anything. I mean, you could hear us breathe. It was that silent. We got back to the motel, and Nathan turned to me and said, Daddy, am I going to die? And God came to my heart, and he gave me the words. I said, Nathan, you are a Christian. You will never die. Your body might pass away, but you will never die. And he said, yeah, you're right, Dad. He said, you're right, Dad. And he says, well, if I'm going to be a vegetable, I want to be spinach. <laughs> and then he says, you know, Mom, he said, I could just lay there and play spit games. He said, you know, spit up in the air and I can try to move my head. <laughs> so that lightened the load for us a little bit, you know. Um, and then, of course, we came home. And plans were being made then for the bone marrow transplant. And... You know, when you're desperate for things to happen and for him to be healed, you know, we were, we were just, I, don't, I can't even explain it. We were just scared and wanted to hurry up, wanted them to hurry up and get things done. And it just seemed like every time you turned around, there was something got in the way and things didn't go, you know. And we knew that the disease was progressing the whole time while we were waiting. We didn't have time to wait. God's plan is perfect. He, we, we had to find a hospital that would take Nathan to do the bone marrow transplant. And two hospitals had already turned this down. Nathan needed the bone marrow transplant. Well, they looked through the International and the National Bone Marrow Registry. There were no people that matched him in the whole world. You know, and that's kind of heartbreaking in itself, you know. And we then, you know, was talking to, about that, and 
they said well the best thing we could do probably is to test Daniel and Jessica to see if they were a match or other family members and we did do that and thank the good Lord he is so good you know Daniel was as close a match as could be I mean he had the five out of six antigens and what was really kind of interesting to me and Mike was Daniel was O negative and Nathan was O positive and you know it was that part of it was pretty interesting but then they decided okay they were going to use Daniel the um, meanwhile we got the odd we got the message that the bone marrow transplant was like three hundred and fifty thousand dollars and the insurance company of Snap-on had told me that they didn't know that they would cover any of it again God intervened I I had a plant manager call me up to the front office and he told me that Snap-on would cover their part well before we knew that Snap-on was going to pay uh, we were desperate you know we didn't have that kind of money nobody has that well unless you're a millionaire but we didn't have that kind of money and I remember standing on the back porch and you know when we're needing God the most you know when we were begging him for help you know and we do that you know it shouldn't just be during the times when we're struggling or having something going on it should be all the time that we're trusting in God and having faith in God but I was standing out on the back porch and I was looking up into the sky and the stars were so bright it just I could just feel God's presence and I was praying and I said Lord what are we gonna do we don't have this kind of money and we don't have time to do a tra uh, fundraisers and stuff we just don't have time you know Nathan's disease is getting worse day by day and I just heard God very clearly say to me it all belongs to me it's gonna be okay and from that that's when Mike had snap on it was a couple of days after that the Lord spoke to me that the plant manager told him that they were gonna cover the bone marrow transplant so that was a very we, we felt so glad because we knew God had taken care of it and and you know you have to trust God that he's going to take care of everything in your life um, so after the fundraisers then um, we uh, set out for Iowa City Iowa and that was in September of 1994 and Carolyn did us a, a book where we could put pictures and things in it and it has a thing on the front that says we're rooting for you so I kind of have those pictures and newspaper articles we had the Evansville Courier following us in Nathan's story during this entire time which was another God thing because I had a chance to share our faith with everybody in the tri-state because they would quote me uh, in the newspapers that you know we were trusting God and we were placing our faith in God and you know and we were just giving it to the Lord you know, in Nathan's faith. We had uh, several fundraisers here in Albion. The school had a celebrity auction. And some of the churches had pie auctions. And it was the first time I'd seen a pie sell for $300. And, you know, it's just, um, it was good pies. Uh, but uh, I never dreamed that God would provide the way he did for our family during those times. The, one of the things that was hard for us was to accept help from people because it's like, you know, it's your responsibility. You're the one that needs to be doing this. Well, you know what? You got to get rid of that pride and let God take care of it. And he used people all the time. You know, we would have people just come and knock on the door and say, the Lord told me to give you this and there'd be a thousand dollars. You know, and at that time, we were so devastated by what was going on that money didn't mean a whole lot. You know, we there wasn't enough money to pay for Nathan to live, and you just we just had to trust God with everything. And so, 
we were getting ready to go to Iowa and I was in the living room I think I was up really really early and I laid flat on the floor with my face on the floor and I was praying to God and I said Lord I don't know why we're going through this but whatever we have to go through I want you to receive all the glory so help us Lord to get through this to endure it and to do whatever we have to do so that you receive the glory and the honor for everything that was so important to me that we didn't blame God we didn't get angry with God you know but that we would just give him all the praise and all the glory for whatever because Nathan was already a Christian and what better thing in your life could you have than your children be saved and Nathan Daniel and Jessica were all saved and that was such a blessing to us we did get into Iowa Daniel was Nathan's bone marrow donor and he didn't want to know anything that he had to do he was just do it I'm you know don't tell me what's gonna happen just do it <laughs> so he did he gave Nathan the bone marrow and Nathan was very very sick during those times because the uh, chemotherapy and the, the really difficult radiation that he had they had to make these blocks of like aluminum to put in a place of where it was it led over his lungs where his lungs wouldn't be burnt so he endured massive doses of radiation and he got very very sick through in, all that in Iowa a typical day Gay and I would wake up at 6 o'clock. By 7 o'clock, we would be at the hospital on the bone marrow transplant floor. And at 11 o'clock at night, we would come home. And so 7 to 11. And Ronald McDonald House. Go back to the Ronald McDonald House. But the uh, each day was just like the day before. But when the only change was there was times we would get a phone call at 2 o'clock in the morning. You need to come in here. Nathan's not doing good. We, I would go in and they were afraid he would have fluid in his lungs. I would lay down on the floor, propping my hand up behind his back, holding him on the chair. And they would say now, and I'd drop my hand, they'd take the picture, and I'd reach my hand back up to hold him again. And then we would carry him back out. And that happened several times, and it was... Um, it was very uh, difficult. We were there through the holidays. We were there in October through Halloween, and one really neat thing about Halloween was is Nathan's head was as bald as could be because, you know, the that what happens is is they end up shaving the head because the hair just falls out by hands full and so all those little kids on the bone marrow transplant unit were all bald-headed but they were cute as they could be and Nathan had lost all his hair and he wanted his brain painted on the outside of his head <laughs> and he wanted blood dripping down for Halloween so he did. They called somebody up and they painted his brain on the outside and he had this blood dripping down. And, you know, he kept his sense of humor. And, you know, he was strong. And his strength, I know, came from the Lord because those little kids that go through those things, they are so special. You know, they endure the most horrid things you know the testing and the needles and the sickness and the I mean just constant you know and death Mike and I the very first day we walked into that unit nobody was talking everybody was really quiet and when we found out we were like asking was something going on they had just lost a little boy that died from leukemia and we knew what we were going to have to face. There were kids from ages 15 to little bitty babies on that unit. And they were there because of leukemia. But Nathan was there for something totally different than what the other kids were there for. Um, nobody really understands or understood what adrenal leukodystrophy was. And we would have to explain it a lot of times to people about what it was. Uh, because it was 
so rare and nobody knew even the physicians didn't have a clue really so you know we trusted God to help us through so many things and it was a daily we couldn't get through a day without him and we still can't but you know we were so close to God at that time because we had no other choice really we we had to have him I don't know how people go through any trial like this without Jesus in their life and thank the good Lord Nathan was saved we were talking about his nurse one of the female nurses she was a young lady she was probably in her early 20s and she had witnessed or told Nathan that she was a Catholic and he asked her said are you saved and she looked at him and she had the most confused look on her face and she said well what does that mean am I saved he said do you know Jesus he said you have to know Jesus he said you need to ask forgiveness of your sins and ask him to come into your heart he said that's what being saved is and he said I'm saved you know he was proud of it and and witness to people you know he would pray for them he would see those other little kids and he'd say oh you're gonna be okay look at me you know he was just the bravest young man we were so proud of him you know it wasn't about him you know he didn't cry or complain that you know he was having to go through all this stuff he just did it he knew that's what he needed to be done and he was that little brave little Eagle Scout that he became during that time we left Iowa we were there in September and Mike and I both were on leave from work and during that time because of the financial donations and things like that we didn't miss a payment on anything we were able to to rent uh, we, we, we rented a house in Albion we after two months of being at Johns Hopkins we had to rent another house in Iowa so we had two houses we were renting at two utilities and God provided it all everything and everything all the worry about money God provided every penny of it there was no need at that time we didn't worry I mean when we thought that funds weren't going to be there somebody would donate huge amounts of money and all, and to the exact amount that's the awesome thing he knows exactly what you need and when you need it and we saw that a lot through what we experienced um, but we were there from September of 94 to January uh, we got home before Jessica's birthday which is January 22nd we were there to celebrate her birthday but during that time I was so eager to get home I wanted to be home so bad because we'd been gone for four months and this blizzard came and it was you know in Iowa and, and up in that area in Galesburg and and those places snow lots of snow and I said if the doctor's gonna let us go we're going Nathan we're going home in the blizzard we'll make it I don't know how but we're gonna go and he was ready to go I was ready to go so we load up the, the uh, four-wheel drive truck and we take off and it got bad it was really bad but what's really interesting is is that there was a semi truck driver in front of me and he was the only fellow on the road and I followed him and I followed his tracks because it was wide out I couldn't see I followed this truck all the way to the turnoff to Peoria Illinois and he sticks his hand out the window and waves and I said thank you Lord for that angel because I wanted to go home and you know God sends those kinds of things to you and we, you know sometimes we don't even acknowledge that that's where it came from but I knew I knew he was there for me it happened a lot but when we got back home um, I'd say in February March right around there maybe April the bone marrow transplant took but the disease didn't stop Nathan had his hearing was getting worse and it was the innervation from the brain to the the eardrum uh, was being destroyed because that's what 
the ALD does. It, like the neurons of the nerve cells, those were deteriorating, so all was left was just like a bare wire. So there were, those impulses weren't getting to his, his ears. He could read lips a little bit, but then he started losing his vision. There'd be a glass on the table, and he'd try to reach it and couldn't. And Mike and I knew, you know, probably that the eyes were being destroyed. So we took him to an optometrist, and they checked him out, and they said yes, that the optic nerve was deteriorating. So within about probably three weeks to a month, Nathan was totally blind. And other things were happening as well, like not being able to walk very well. He, he actually walked for quite a while, but then started dragging his right leg. But during that time, he would walk around, he would have one hand stretched out to the wall, and he would say, praise God, praise Jesus, and praise the Holy Spirit. And he said that on and on and on. And during time, me and Gay had to go back to work, and Gay's father would come by and pick him up and take him to Evansville to a doctor's appointment. Nathan would be praising God the whole time. My dad said, well, he said, uh, Nathan praised God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit all the way to Evansville. He praised him in the doctor's office and in the examination room and said, and he praised him all the way back home. And dad was laughing. And it, it was kind of funny because Nathan would say, oh, Jesus is awesome. And, you know, as time went on, he got where he couldn't speak very well, and he'd say, I love Jesus, and he'd just stretch it way out there, but, but he would praise God and Jesus. And he did this for a month, and one day when I had gone back to work, and one day when I got home from work, Nathan had this glow on him, and I looked at him, and he said, Mom, he said, Jesus let me see through his eyes. I said, what did you see, Nathan? Oh, I saw colors I couldn't even name. And I said, well, did you see anything else? He said, yeah. He said, I saw people. He said, Mom, they're so happy. He said, I'm going there. And I said, oh, that's awesome, Nathan. He saw into heaven. There's no doubt in my mind. He did the same thing. He came to me when I got home from work. He said, Daddy. Jesus let me see through his eyes today. And I did the same thing. I said, what did you see? I seen colors I couldn't even name. And people. And I, hey, that's a God thing. God, God was there with him. No doubt. You know, we would uh, worry that we couldn't communicate with him because he couldn't see us. He was blind and he couldn't hear us. And, you know, we imagined that that was a very lonely thing for him. And Mike and I would cry over that because, you know, we couldn't talk to him anymore. He couldn't talk to us. And we'd pray, Lord, would you just please talk to him? Because we can't. And then... I always prayed that I didn't want Nathan to be alone. He couldn't see, couldn't hear, and I just wanted... If I put my hand on him, that would be enough to know that I'm there. And I come in, and he would be sitting there with his fist crunched up like this with a smile from ear to ear. He's like, I'm so excited, you know. The Lord was talking to him, and he was showing him where he was going, and he was excited. And we'd look at each other and be kind of jealous because we're like, I wonder what God's saying to him. <laughs> he was. And he was, he was so excited. And, and the thing was, is the kids with adrenal leukodystrophy, a lot of times would be angry or like bite themselves in that. We never saw that out of Nathan. That Holy Spirit was in that boy, and that's what came out. Nathan got to the point where we had to prop him up in a chair and put pillows on both sides of him to keep him upright. There's, I'd lay up a mat on the floor and lay him down on the floor and we had youth groups from churches that would come in with kids that went to school with them and they seen Nathan as he was and we we no if you don't know Jesus Christ 
you need you need to get with it because this boy went to school with you and he's going to die you guys have a chance to accept jesus christ as your savior today so don't wait don't wait and there weren't dry eyes in the room and you know it was an awesome opportunity for us to share the gospel with the young kids that knew who nathan was and they knew he was a christian you know and it was just really an amazing thing that god allowed us to be able to speak to the youth you know during that one day we were talking about how satan had us on this roller coaster ride and we were just tired you know and we were just talking about how Satan was doing this and doing that, and Nathan hadn't said anything in nearly probably a month or maybe two. And while we're talking about Satan doing all these things to us, he says, oh, he's nothing. <laughs> and we looked at him and I said, did you hear that? <laughs> That's the only thing he said. And I said, well, we are giving Satan way too much credit, enough of that. Okay, Lord, we heard that. <laughs> well, we were uh, sitting in the living room one of these nights and like I said Nathan hadn't spoken in a while had him propped up in the chair and out of the blue he says is there anybody here and Gay jumped down and she said yeah Nathan I'm here I said uh, Nathan I said it's your mom he said oh I love my mom and this conversation is forever ingrained in my mind because that was a miracle for those nerves to connect like that for him to be able to come back for two hours is how long we had him and I said Nathan I you're my sweet boy and he said you're my sweet mom and he took his hand that was paralyzed and touched my face and I said Nathan Daniel and Jessica are here he said oh I love my brother and he said, and I love my sister. And he was telling us that he loved us. And I asked him, I said, Nathan, are you afraid? And he said, of what? <laughs> he was not afraid. And we asked him if he was hungry, and he said, yes, a little. I said, would you like a milkshake? Yeah, I'd like one. So Mike runs up to the Dairy Queen, gets a milkshake, comes back home. He was afraid he was going to miss stuff, you know. And Jessica and Daniel were there, and they were just like clinging on, holding on to him. And Jessica's crying, and she says, Mommy, is Jesus healing Nathan? And I looked at her, and I said, No, honey. I said, I don't think so. But I said, He's letting us know that Nathan's still in there. Nathan is there, and he's okay. You know, I said, This is a miracle from Jesus that we're getting to talk to him. And then lasted for about two hours and then we laid Nathan back down in his bed which they had rolled in a hospital bed for us and you know we had wheelchair and everything and he was deteriorating this whole time and one day I'm getting ready to go to work trying to get ready to go to work and I'm standing in my bedroom and Jessica's standing beside me because she always watched me put on my makeup well this morning that morning I could not do it I was crying too hard and there was no way that it was going to stay on my face. And I was just so upset. And I was just saying, God, I can't do this. I just can't do this anymore. I need your help today. I can't do this. And we heard this big crashing sound. And Jessica looked at me and she said, what was that, Mom? I said, I don't know. I said, it sounded like a fan fell over or maybe a picture fell off the wall. And she said, yeah. She said, maybe it is. She said, there's a fan in there. And so... We take off going through the house looking at where you hang your pictures up everybody knows where their pictures are hanging so we're walking through the house and we get into the living room and I must say I did not dust very well that day and this plaque that's the shape of a page of a Bible was on the floor and you can see if this was on my TV a friend had given it to me and this was laying in the floor and it just looked like somebody had taken their hand and just swept it off of the television. So I pick it up and I'm reading it out loud to Jessica. And I said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And that's John 14, 1 through 3. And I picked that up, and then the realization hit me. You know what? Something supernatural knocked that off the TV. An angel did that. Or maybe even Jesus himself knocked that off to get my attention, to tell me, hey, it's okay. You know, there's a place prepared for Nathan. It's all right. Get ready. Go to work. Stop crying. You know, so I did. I got ready, and I went on to work. And I'm keeping the plaque because it's such a reminder of, of how much God loves us. And he does stuff to help us uh, in our human mind. You know, it's hard to, for us to conceive everything. His ways are not our ways. They're higher than our ways. And we just kind of put God in a box sometimes, I think. And, you know, we put limits on him. There are no limits with God. One night... Nathan was thrashing around in the bed and it's about one o'clock in the morning and I had to work the next day but I went in and I laid down and I held him all night long he was hurting so bad he couldn't talk and he couldn't see all I could do is hold him and hug him well about six o'clock Gay had to come in because I had to go to work and I climbed into the bed with Nathan. It was a hospital bed, and he was very restless. And I just started praying, and I said, Lord, please take him home. I said, just please come and get him today and take him home. I said, we're ready for him to go. We really weren't, but we wanted him to be in heaven, so... And he had given us permission to let him go. Basically, he told us not to put tubes in him. He didn't want to be kept alive. He wanted to go be with Jesus. So that morning, he starts calming down. Immediately after I prayed, he got really calm. And I had seen death before, and he was, he was going through that, the death, that valley. And so I called Mike. Our home was so peaceful. I can't even describe the peace that we felt that day. And I called Mike, and I'll let you tell that part. Gay called me about 9 o'clock, and she said, Mike, you need to come home. Nathan's dying. And I said, no. He can't be. I was with him last night. I held him all night. He can't be going. So I jumped in my truck to come home. And there he was in bed with everybody around him. Well, what was interesting about that was is people started showing up. I hadn't called them. Ken Wilson called, and he said, Gay, he said, I was in prayer for you and Mike this morning. The Lord told me to call you. I said, Ken, Nathan's dying. Can you come? He said, I'm on my way. And he came. Tim and Anita Ice were here at that time. And Tim and Anita had gone to Mount Carmel, where I worked, to check on me and to check on Nathan. They got there and found out that I wasn't coming in. They didn't tell them that Nathan was dying, but Tim and Anita knew, and they came right to the house. My mom, instead of going to work, she came to the house. She was the first one at the house. And Nathan's in there, and, and it's very, very calm. People just started showing up. The hospice nurse came, and my cousin who took care of Nathan throughout that whole time, Shelly uh, Lee, or Smith now, she came. And I had the Bible open to Psalms 23, and I was reading that to Nathan. And we were reading it, and just finally I said to Nathan, I said, Nathan, I said, Jesus is waiting on you. I said, you can go. It's okay. And he sat up with both arms outstretched, and he had a paralyzed left arm. He, he stretched out his arms so that Jesus could take hold of him. And he did that, and then he, he laid back down, and then my mom touched him and said, it's okay. 
She said, go ahead and go, sweetheart. She said, we're going to be okay. She said, Jesus is waiting on you. And that time he did it again, only that time he did leave. And, you know, that in itself was a miracle to me, that he would outstretch both arms even though one was paralyzed. You know, he was ready to go, and the Lord was right there. You know, that was an amazing thing. We, um, after Nathan passed away then, of course, you have to make funeral arrangements, and we had it at the, the First Baptist Church because Mary, we thought, might not be big enough to house everybody, and we were right. They sent busloads of kids from the school to the church for Nathan's funeral, and probably that week, the Lord had impressed upon me to have an altar call at his funeral. And I thought, boy, that's kind of strange, God. And, you know, I haven't seen that anywhere. And I just kept hearing him say that. And I thought, well, that's probably just me thinking that, you know. Well, a day later, Ken Wilson calls and he said, hey, gay. He said, I want to find out if, if it's okay with you and Mike if I do altar call Nathan's funeral. <laughs> I said, absolutely. And then I knew, you know, that was confirmation that absolutely we give altar call at Nathan's funeral. Six people got saved that day. And that was an awesome thing, an awesome thing. The, uh, the, the way God had been with us for two years during all this time, I cannot believe how, I can't see how anyone could go through that without having God in their life. The, It's just, it's just almost impossible to walk down that road not having God with you and directing you and helping you. And the finances and the most important thing that through it all was my church family. My church family. God's lifted me up more times than I can tell you. I know I've, I've come in here during that time and sat down and just broke crying. And I know I've had church family come up and put their arms around me and during the, the hardest part of my life. And I do not think that I could have survived this, this journey without the Lord in my life and my church family. And if you don't have a church family, if you, don't, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, think about this real serious you need to do this because God doesn't promise you tomorrow Nathan was 17 when he died he was almost like a valid Victorian an Eagle Scout he had a lot going on for himself but God had other plans you know he, he was saved at a very young age um, he was seven and I led him and Daniel to the Lord uh, November 16th, 1986. I'll never forget that day. And I had a gospel tract, and I was talking to him about heaven and, and what it was to, to be a sinner. And Nathan knew. Nathan was a smart young man, and Daniel did too. And he said, Mommy, he said, I want Jesus in my heart. He said, because I want to go to heaven. And that was a long time before he actually started getting sick. So, you know, it's so important for parents to raise their children up to know who Jesus Christ is because you don't know. You know, you don't know if that child is going to be with you until they grow old or not. So if you have a sick child or, or know of sick family, you know, children, or maybe you've experienced the death of a child, you know what I'm saying, that it's very, very hard but with Jesus Christ, you still have joy, even in the midst of all that pain. I was joyful knowing Nathan was going to go home. He was, he's with Jesus now. He can see. He has Christmas every day. Um, I had, after Nathan passed away, and this was a couple of years later, you wonder what they're, what they're doing up there in heaven. You know, you just do. I was like, God, what, what's he doing up there? You know, and, and why can't we see what they're doing? I just don't get it. And so the Lord gave me the scripture in Isaiah about where he hid Moses in the cleft of the rock as he walked by. 
And the reason that we can't look on him or look into heaven is because our bodies could not handle that, and he's not ready for us to go home yet. That's why we can't look into heaven, because he cannot, sin cannot enter the, the gates of heaven. And I, I understood that. And then one evening I was standing at the sink in the kitchen and I was washing dishes, and I'd really been missing Nathan a lot. I still do. There's times I ball like a ball bag, but I miss him, and I was missing him that week and that evening, and I really wasn't crying or anything that evening, but all of a sudden, I hear God say, just really loud, like I'm talking to you, look at the moon. Um, and I spoke out loud, and I said, okay. So I'm looking at the moon, and the moon was full, and it was bright, and it was brilliant. It was just glowing. And the Lord said to me, Nathan wears a gown of righteousness as bright as that moon. And I thought, wow, that's pretty awesome, Lord. So now when we look at the moon, we say, hi, Nathan. <laughs> this day must make you wonder if you're gonna make it through. The time has come for you to find Faith I've given you To see your baby lying there All lifeless and alone There's something I can help you make it through I faced it with my own When I gave you Jesus my one and only son This battle that you're facing now I've already won And I hear your cries And I know just what you need If you never hold your baby there He'll be here with me Well, I know you've had your doubts And your fears have abound But now you've got to trust me And I won't let you down That child of yours is coming home Just you wait and see Lift up your eyes this day See your victory Oh, I gave you Jesus My one and only son This battle that you're facing now I've already won And I hear your cries And I know just what you If you never hold your baby there, he'll be here with me. Though the thunder shake you, and the rain fade your view, and the lightning strike in your path, I'll still be here for you. This battle that you're facing now, I've already won. And I hear your cries, and I know just what you need. If you never hold your baby there, he'll be here. If you never hold your baby there, He'll be here with me.
I love you, Bubby. I love you. Are you away from God? Would you like to get closer to God than you've ever been? It's as simple as saying a little prayer, asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart, asking Jesus Christ to fire you back up like you was when you first got saved. Whatever the situation is with you right now, we want to pray with you. It's time to get serious with God. It's not just your soul that is affected by the decision you're making today. If you have children at home, if you have a spouse at home, if you have friends that are looking to you for some type of leadership, because you could take them wherever you go. And don't you want to take them to meet Jesus? All you got to do is pray a simple little prayer. It can be as simple as, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Lord, I want to do more. I want to be everything that you've called me to be. Take out my stony heart and give me a brand new heart. I will live for you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Drivers, if you said that prayer, we encourage you to give us a call. You can call me, Daryl Spicer, at 615-663-3199. Or give me a call, Chaplain Gary Rayburn, Lonesome Road Ministries, 618-383-2107. Or you can call Chaplain Dennis McKay, 662-889-2829. We want to help you. And drivers, my friend, Gary Rayburn, has a song called At the Foot of the Tree that Dennis McKay uh, recorded for Gary and did an awesome job. And uh, that's the first song that we've done on it is. on uh, Lonesome Road Volume, Volume 1. One. That was the very first one. Yeah. Here is Dennis McKay singing At the Foot of the Tree. At the crossroads of life Lost without hope Eighteen wheels of lonesome At the end of the road In my hand was a track The preacher had read His words still echoing In the back of my head I felt so ashamed When I thought of my past Then I called his name this chance would it be my last then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart from down on my knees today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross broken hearted and lonesome so long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree Those 18 wheels are rolling Down that old lonesome road I shared the good news wherever I go. Yes, there's been a change. I'm not the man I used to be. And I tell everybody what's happened to me. How I felt so ashamed when I thought of my past. But I called his name. This chance could it be my last? Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree, and I lifted up my heart from down on my knees. Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross, broken-hearted and lonesome. So long I've been lost I left a lifetime of misery 
the foot of the tree Then I saw Jesus hanging on that tree I lifted up my heart from down on my knees Today I met Jesus at the foot of the cross Broken hearted and lonesome So long I'd been lost I left a lifetime of misery At the foot of the tree